This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap for Thursday, the 1st of December. Ding, 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 ding. That's the sound of uh, holidays and merriness and stuff. Uh, coming up today, an extended interview with the creator of the Clue app. That's the CLEW app. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Yeah, just imagine lots of like jingles and ding ling 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 that noise uh, which you hear and, and awful Christmas engine. music. That was the strangest, and you know, me saying that was the strangest intro. I mean, you've you've come some way there. Well done, Stephen Scott. That was fantastic. Ding How entertaining are you? Honestly, I am like that there Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, by the way, pinch punch first of the month. No return. Oh, stop all that rubbish! I can't be bothered with that nonsense. I don't even know what it means. It's garbage. You make it up. No, it means I can give you a dead arm, and uh, and you can't do anything about it. Give it's, you a it's, dead it's arm. It's law. Right. Um, hi. Welcome to the festive month. <laughs> uh, Sean and I today, and it's a, it's a bit of a special one today because uh, we are having an extended conversation with uh, the founder or the creator of the app, the Clue app, which is the indoor navigation application. Indoor navigation application. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. It works. It works. That well actually did work. Yeah. You know that way you think I've just said the word application twice, but no, I didn't. No, um, you like that Drake or um, Dr. Uh, Dre. Who? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Right. Uh, but yes, so we're going to have an extended interview with Paul. Also, we're going to get a demo of how the Clue app actually works in reality from Robin Christofferson coming up a bit later as well. Uh, look, should we just get on with it today? What? I know. What? Not talk about nonsense for 15 minutes beforehand. Wow. Yeah, I think we should just get on with it today. Let's get Paul on. Let's have a conversation because I'm really interested to hear more about it. We featured the Clue app on Double Tap TV this week and I just was so glad that Paul was able to hang back and we could have a a bit longer conversation with him. Paul, thank you so much for coming on to uh, Double Tap here. Great. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this is a really exciting conversation for us, uh, Paul, because, you know, we talk a lot about, well, Sean, you and I, we both know how much we talk about navigation outside, but now we're going to talk about indoor navigation. And that is exactly what your app has created, the Clue app, C-L-E-W. And in my weird accent, that is actually an E for echo, just so we're clear on this. Sean always picks me up on my terrible <laughs> that accent. Was perfect. Um, well done. Was that okay? Were you I'm happy, happy with, with that, that Sean? I'm glad pass. you're pleased. Well I, I live to make you happy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm just interested. So uh, tell us, for those who don't know, what the Clue app is. All right, I'd be happy to. Uh, so the Clue app is an app for route recording and navigation. So the idea is that you can hit the record button in any environment. It's designed to work best indoors, but it will also work for short routes outdoors. Um, you walk along that route. Um, Once you're done walking that route, you hit the stop button, and now that route is saved in your phone, and you can navigate along it anytime you want in the future with automatic guidance from the app itself. So when you're initially recording the route, um, you would either have to have somebody familiar with the route or maybe a sighted guide, depending on the situation. And um, once you have it saved, the idea is that you can navigate the route independently using your phone. And that's the difference here, right? Because indoor navigation, you cannot use GPS. There's no way to to essentially get your location to that detail inside. Right. So with this, it, it kind of allows you to create your own routes, essentially. Or, sorry, routes, as you say so properly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I tend to switch back and forth <laughs> as, as, very as, randomly. So. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Um, but no, th- that's really interesting. So that's how it works, right? You you record a route. So, so talk us through that process. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you brought up a really important point about the idea of positioning and how do you determine position inside. So um, what's really exciting about phones in the last few years is that there's been a big push to introduce um, what's called augmented reality features to phones. So the idea that as you move around in space, you can kind of mix together, you know, what's happening in the physical world with a virtual world. Um, And so in order to make that happen, phones have gotten really, really good at sensing their motion in space. So 
Um, phones have things like accelerometers and gyroscopes to sense their, their motion, but also the camera of the phone is actually a really good instrument for sensing the motion. Um, so when you're you know recording a route, um, essentially what it's doing is it's taking all this, all that sensor data and figuring out how the phone is kind of moving about in space. And one analogy we like to use is the trail of breadcrumbs. Imagine this phone sort of moving around in space and you're sort of dropping this trail of virtual breadcrumbs as you go along. And that kind of forms the basis of the route. Um, and so the, the, uh, the last little bit is, um, you know, these sensors are good at figuring out how the phone moves relative to where it was before. But we also need to establish some sort of absolute starting point, like an absolute reference point. Um, so in the Clue app, we use um, kind of a combination of, we call it a physical reference point. So, you know, many people might be familiar with um, the idea that when you're using, norm, you know, conventional orientation mobility practices, you might use like a wall or like a corner, or like a door as kind of like a landmark to like orient yourself in a space. We have a very similar process for the Clue app where... Um, we have the user set an anchor point where the phone is like starting in a known location and then the route is created relative to that. Um, uh, there's some other stuff we put on top of it. For instance, um, a lot of times the phone can just automatically recognize where it is and you know short circuit the whole need to start in the same location that you recorded the route. But um, we try to, uh, you know, the backup is basically the user starts in the correct location and then they can follow that trail of breadcrumbs that they laid down to the end of the route. Um, and then during that process, they'll be getting things like, you know, directions like, you know, go straight, turn right, turn left, but also haptic feedback from their phone. So it'll give you some kind of a heartbeat when you're facing in the right direction is kind of the, the, the general function. of the. Oh, app. I got to say, you're, you're so, you know, um, matter of fact about it, but Clue is one of those apps that when I loaded it up, it blew my mind. I've had this experience a few times with the smartphone. Is I think the first time with the first object um, recognition that I did. You know, this recognizing my tin of beans or whatever <laughs> mundane thing it was. Right. But still, it changed my world. Right. And it sounds like I'm being overly dramatic, but honestly, that sort of uh, impact that that technology had. It's almost like magic. And I had exactly the same thing the first time. The first time I tried the Clue app because. You know, it was, how is it recognizing this? And it told me, you know, stairs down, stairs up. I, I was just testing it around the house. Uh, but the speed and responsiveness was absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm so interested in the, the, the technology behind it. Would this be possible if it wasn't for the uh, artificial intelligence, as in the um, uh, augmented reality component? Yeah, no, that, I think that's, that's a key driver. So I think one thing I just definitely want to say is, you know, a lot of what we're doing is we're, we're definitely riding a lot of really, you know, awesome kind of technological trends that are happening in the industry. So, um, you know, these augmented reality um, capabilities are, are huge. And I think we're just at the like beginning of what I think is going to be like a major wave in terms of new technology in this area. So um, moving beyond the phone as a form factor to things like, you know, glasses or headsets and these types of things. And so what's really exciting to me as somebody who's building these types of apps and is interested in this area is leveraging these new capabilities and then building on top of them. So figuring out like what is like the little bit of functionality we can add on top of this great capability that phones are just getting kind of for free without us even needing to do anything to enable that, you know, extra little bit of, um, you know, functionality. Um, and then the other part is, of course, um, tailoring it to the needs of people who are blind and visually or visually impaired. So figuring out like, what is the story around accessibility here and how can we like repurpose this technology, which wasn't really designed with this group necessarily in mind. How do we make sure that it is serving the needs of, of the, of this group? So I think, I think to me, that's like the really exciting thing about the kind of trends that are happening right now. And how did that come about? Is this your first product you would say, your first app that is designed for blind and partially sighted people? Yes, that that's true. So just, a, yeah, a little bit of background on me. So 
Um, yeah, so I'm a college professor. Um, my background is in artificial intelligence and robotics. So I did my PhD in those areas. Um, and then when I came to Olin College, which is a you know very small engineering college uh, near Boston, Massachusetts, in the United States, um, I got very interested in the idea of uh, human-centered design and how technology can be put to work for folks to have an impact in the world. And part of that is just the way that we approach engineering here at Olin is we put a big emphasis on that. We think engineering historically hasn't done a great job always with that. Um, and then so I started kind of dabbling in the area, uh, you know, about I'd say about eight years ago. Um, and I just kept doing more and more work in the area and built more and more kind of connections with different, you know, groups in the community and also other people who were working in the area, like from a research side and that kind of slowly built. And then I think the, yeah, the real game changer was kind of like we've been alluding to is this, um, you know, once the augmented reality capability went onto iPhones, that was like the real game changer. I was like the thing that I was doing in my lab with like, you know, a clunky prototype that like we put together ourselves all of a sudden I was like, wow, this thing is already in everybody's pocket that might like there's already a you know a, a large group of people that have the hardware that have the software and now the opportunities really arises so so that that was the catalyst for clue and then that we can't get, that got sort of popular about 3 years ago and then we're continuing to build on the concept now with other other related apps as well so the hardware makes the difference, right? I mean, it's Sean and I talk about this all the time, don't we? We talk about the cameras inside our smartphones, or we talk right. about the 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 AI, the processing, all of this. And we tend to have the view that you know, well, smartphones have gotten to a point where the camera is good enough, right? The, 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 it's good enough for most people to do things. But from your perspective, I imagine, no, you want it to be better. You need it to be better because that then allows more information to get into you know into the iPhone which means therefore the the, the 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 app can do more i guess yeah absolutely yeah absolutely i think there's like two parts to that there's there's sort of the the camera or and i'd even generalize it from the the normal camera which is the idea of like uh, even more advanced sensors like lidar um which is light distance and ranging so this is the idea that um you know some of the newer iPhone models have uh a three, essentially a 3D camera. So every single point in the image can be labeled with a distance to that point. Um, so that's a huge, you know, emerging opportunity. Um, and then I think just computing power and, and algorithms. So it's how do you process the sensor data or images in this case? How do you process these images to figure out interesting things about the environment? Like, Sean, you gave the example of, you know, recognizing like a, a like a, a tin of beans or something like you know, part of that is like ca cameras getting better, but another part is the sort of underlying algorithms and the sort of state of the art of artificial intelligence getting better. And so, um, yeah, all of the, the both of those things are are the trends that are going to drive more and more advanced capabilities in in this space. Fantastic. And where are we at with Clue? Because Clue has been about for a few years now, I think, and it always seemed to yeah. be in, um, I don't want to say beta, but it was more a proof of concept of the technology, I think. Now, I know there was work right. going on with the user interface and to do with the anchor point at the start as well, but where is Clue at now? Oh, and just another question. Why is it called Clue, by the way? Oh, <laughs> yeah. So the the Clue the clue name, I'll just start with the, the easier question. I'll start <laughs> with the Clue name. So we, you know, we came up, we, I think the, the trail of breadcrumbs was like kind of a, you know, early analogy we thought of with the app. And so we were like, you know, what are we going to call this app? Or like, we're going to call it like, you know, Hansel or like Gretel or something to like, you know, the, the fairy tale of it. Everything we, we came up with, someone had already like used the name. And so we eventually, uh, someone in the lab was like a big Greek mythology nerd and realized that the the clue was spelled that way as actually references the the myth of the the minotaur and the labyrinth so the clue of theseus is this ball of yarn that spools out ahead of theseus and guides him to the minotaur and he's able to just like that was that's where it originally came from it was a very pretentious name but uh it kind of stuck and uh i think overall it's it's an it's an okay name but uh, so that's where the name came from um that's and, that's a great that's a great way to to name it. I must admit, I wouldn't have thought of it myself. Uh, <laughs> it went over my head. 
would be the first person that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, to the second part of that question, or that, yeah. that second question, that I guess Sean asked there. That, that was it. Was that question you asked again, Sean? I was more interested in the clue. <laughs> Sorry, answer. I was. I just wondered where we are with clue because it does seem to have been yeah. testing for quite a few years now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd say I, I don't necessarily think of it as like a, you know, a bright line between like, you know, test. I, I kind of think of it as a con- trying to continuously improve it um, over time. Um, and I think, you know, the the biggest things, in my opinion, are uh, ease of use. So how do we make it get to the point where somebody can pick up this app and figure out how to follow the directions from the app? with, with, you know, very little, um, friction at all. Um, and so some of the work we've done, we've put together some interactive, like tutorial modules that teach various skills around, um, you know, how to follow routes. We've also, um, thought about this idea of, you know, uh, like the, right now the app will give directions by default based on the direction the phone is pointing which is the most natural thing from a technical point of view. But we you know, realize that some folks have a difficult time like understanding how their phone is oriented in space relative to their body. And so from talking to users, we've been able to like build in systems that kind of allow correct for that and allow it to be relative to the direction of your body instead of the phone. Um, and so think like kind of ease of use improvements like that. And then I think the other component is like you were saying, Sean, the idea of like aligning to routes, anchor points, those are those are that I think that's like the biggest issue with the app right now. So we've been working on different approaches to that. So um, we have a bunch of concepts. I mean, I can go into a lot of the details around those. Some of them have to do with um, building our own image-based system to use to reference the current position to the, the route instead of a physical anchor point where you actually have to like put the phone in the in the correct location. Um, We've also have a proof of concept of using outdoor uh, localization as a way to then guide you indoors. So we can actually use imagery outside and GPS as a way to localize you precisely and then guide you inside a building. Um, so these are like some of the ideas we've been exploring, and I'd be happy to like expand on any of those. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think certainly the outdoor aspect. Or, yeah. you know, we often talk about the last 10 yards problem. Right. When you're blind, you know, you, you can use something like Microsoft Soundscape, for example, to locate a building. Um, and, and, you know, Sean and I both know this. We've spent a lot of time outside of buildings trying to find our way into yes. buildings. <laughs> right. And it would be kind of nice to, you know, get in occasionally and um, not have someone come outside and say, you're right, sir, and go all through all that carry on. Right. Um, you know, you ideally want that bridge between the two. And I guess even as we go down the route of driverless cars down the line, and this is obviously a bit of a time away, but... You know, if a, if a driverless car drops you off somewhere, no one's going to help you find the door, right? So I guess you're building for the future here, which which is, is very interesting. Maybe maybe talk to us a little bit about that, if you can, the, yeah. this sort of a fusion of outdoor and indoor. Right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And so at, right now we're kind of starting, starting with the easiest case, which is um, basically, uh, you know, both Apple and Google are starting to provide systems where they can localize you outdoors using a combination of uh, images and GPS. Uh, so Google has, you know, their, their cars that drive around and they're capturing these, you know, 3D images along with uh, um, basically, you know, wide angle images and also like 3D information about the environment. Apple actually has these people that wear these giant backpacks just like strapped up with all these like laser scanners and cameras and they actually just walk around um on city streets and and map them out um and so what i say why i say we're starting with the easy case so apple has a very limited set of cities in the world right now that they've done this mapping process for so in the u.s there's probably like 50 to 60 cities um in england for instance like i think london is like the one place that has been mapped at the moment um and um so we're starting with that as our, our starting point since Boston is one of those cities that has been mapped. But um, essentially, you take your phone out outdoors. You kind of just all you need to do is really walk down the sidewalk. And it's just it kind of pinpoints you down to, I'd say, within a, a foot or two of error. Like it's very, very accurate. And it's even accurate enough for our purposes that we we're not even focused on the last, you know, 
you know, 10, 10 yards prop or whatever outside, we're thinking like, is this good enough to actually guide us into a building? And it turns out in, in a lot of cases, it actually is good enough to guide you into a building. So not only can it guide you in through the door, but actually get you to like a particular section of like a store or like a, you know, a counter or a, you know, a, a registration desk or something of that, of that nature. So um, there's, yeah, we're, one of the things we're working on this summer, which we're really excited about is that kind of hybrid system of like outdoor to indoor transitions. Can I ask you about, um, you know, my, my interpretation of what you have with Clue is that it's very personal, that you can obviously choose your route, you can you can record that route, you can use it that way. Um, and I think that's great. I just wonder if business could benefit from this. If I think about shopping mall, for example. Yeah. You know, could could there almost be a map that is built by the shopping mall that could be therefore either downloaded to or available to the Absolutely. app? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely like the other big area that we're we're working towards. So I think I when I was saying originally at the shot and you asked me this question like, you know, what is it going to take to kind of like push this thing to the next level and I think the there's the usability, there is like aligning to routes, but I think the other thing is the ability to share routes and leverage like work that other people have done in order to navigate along those because there's definitely a set of use cases like I you know, I get people that are like you know, I'm going to a hotel and I want to be able to get from my room to the elevator. And then they say, all right, I'm going to have somebody help me record that route. And I use it a few times. Um, and that definitely makes a lot of sense. But what if I'm just going to a place like one time, like I'm not going to even have the opportunity to record that route. And so that I think that's where like some of the things you're saying, uh, Stephen, kind of come in, which are like, can we create routes that can easily be shared among multiple people. Um, and, and that is actually a, the, another big thing that we're working on right now. Um, we basically have, uh, you know, two systems that we're working on. Um, both of them involve, uh, tags. So I don't know if you guys have ever had like anybody from Navilens on the show. Um, but they have like a tag based system where you can like figure out how far away a tag is based on scanning with your camera. Um, we're using a similar type of technology to, um, allow somebody who owns a business to like put up tags in their space, either just at the starting point or at the starting point and along the the route itself in order so that anybody who comes into the building can just like orient themselves and start navigating along a path. Um, and so of course it does have the trade off of like the person who owns the business has to be willing to like, you know, put up tags in an environment. Um, but I think it's a case that, you know, many people will be go for, I think, like, I think there's a good case to be made from a lot of perspectives as to why um, this would be something that could be attractive to a business. Um, definitely like the, you know, the, the bigger play is like a, a tagless solution where it's all based on indoor imagery. There's nothing at all, no infrastructure at all. Um, in my view, that's still like, we're still not quite at that point yet. Um Maybe some of like the really big big players, if they have really you know expensive equipment to map out the space initially, might be feasible. Um, but our solutions are focused on what can we provide that's free that anybody can use and doesn't require any special hardware other than an iPhone for both creating the map and also following following the map. It is so interesting hearing you talk about all this, and I want to get more on this from you shortly, but. Let's take a short break, Paul, for just a moment, because I want to bring in a demo of the app itself, the, the, the Clue app in operation. Our very own Robin Christofferson, who's a regular contributor to our show, uh, he got in touch and shared his demonstration. Uh, you might have seen a visual demonstration that he did on Double Tap TV. Well, he recorded this for us here on the podcast so that we could all get a sense of how this works in reality. Him uh, following his route from his office at home downstairs and back up to his office with uh, some surprising results, as we'll find. So we're just going to do a simple route here from the office upstairs to the back door, and then I'll retrace that route. So at the moment, I'm facing my desk and I'm at the end of the hall of the landing on uh, upstairs in our house and the doors to my right. So I'm going to swing around on my chair. <clears throat> so now I'm, I'm facing the door. Now, this app used to need, be needed to be put on a vertical surface to orientate it. That isn't necessary anymore. That was weird. 
Um, so I'll open up Clue. Open Clue. Clue. Options. Button. Okay. First thing we see is an options button. If I flick to the right. Help. Button. Help. Record a single use route. Button. Record a, a single... green and white sign with black text. Possible text. Single use route. So record a single use route. That's what we want. I have no idea why it then goes on to recognise that icon or button with that description there. I've got screen recognition off. Record a single use route. Okay. Stop recording. Now recording a single use Walking route. Walking ahead, three, four, five steps, forward. nearly at the bathroom, doing a right degree turn, 90 degree turn, taking one, two steps, not going into the bedroom, taking a right degree turn. I'm at the top of the stairs now. I'm just going to start walking down the stairs, keeping the phone vertical in front of me all the time. I'm now at the bottom of the stairs. I'm going to take a right turn and then take two steps ahead. I'm not going to go into the living room. And I'm going to take another 90 degree turn. And now I'm going to start walking ahead. So I'm walking down the... Okay. Now in the kitchen, take a 90 degree turn to the right. I'm walking through one part of the kitchen. I'm going to thread my way through into the second half of the kitchen through a little gap between an island and the wall, and I'm going to take a left 90 degree turn, and I'm going to start walking ahead. One, two, three. This is the back door, guys. Okay then. Record a voice note. Stop recording. Buttons. Stop recording. Start navigation. Button. So I could have saved a voice note at the beginning of the route, at the end of the route, and even actually at different points in the route as well. So now we're still facing the back door. I'm going to, t I'm going to start. Start navigation. Button. Double tap on that. Stop, turn around. Turn around. Turn around. Yes. Oh, now I'm facing away from the back door and it's saying that's in the right direction. One, two, three. Turn right. Yes. Oh, now I'm going to thread my way through the island. Two, three. Oh, yep. Turn left. I'm near the hallway door. Start walking through. Two, three, four, five. Yep. Left. Left. Oh, I'm turning left. Oh, and now I'm facing the stairs. And as I do, it's now ticking. So I'm definitely, it's definitely threading me right up the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still going up the stairs. Oh, I'm at the top of the stairs. Turn left. 90 degrees. Yep. Go ahead. One, two. Turn left. Wow. Now I'm facing directly towards the office as I walk down the landing. Oh wow, guys, <laughs> I'm back where I was and my knees are touching the front of my office chair. That is amazing. Now, I can't record and do the demo on the same device, so I'm actually using my phone in one hand and um, holding an, another device. It's actually an iPad <laughs> in the other hand. So I haven't got my hands free to do the normal thing, which is to kind of touch base with things that you're going past in your home. Uh, as you walk around, but I was able to get all the way back up here with the right uh, verbal directions and the audio feedback to uh, successfully record and then retrace a route. And now if we wanted to... Help. Button. Record a single use route. But save route. Button. A green and white sign with black text. And now if we wanted to, we could save this route here, but I'm not going to do that. We would give it a name, etc. Okay. Clue. C-L-E-W. Thank you, Robin. That's uh, Robin Christofferson there from AbilityNet, of course, demonstrating the Clue app for us. You can uh, watch a demonstration on the Double Tap TV episode. Check it out on the AMI app. And also, you can find us on YouTube as well. Just search for Double Tap on air on YouTube. Stick around more with Paul Ravolo, creator of the Clue app, next on Double Tap. Send us your feedback to feedback at doubletaponair.com. Leave us a voicemail at 1-877-803-4567. You're listening to Double Tap. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. And today on the show, we're joined by Paul Ravolo, uh, the creator of the Clue app. Uh, before the break, Paul, we were having a chat uh, before Robin's excellent demo, of course, of the Clue app in action. 
uh, we were talking about how essentially stores you know may have to map their own environments in order for you know these apps to be able to really work well you know so you know indoor navigation which is what we're talking about here is often hampered by the fact that there is just not a huge amount of information available and i'm kind of wondering if there's another way to look at this in that instead of thinking about a store going round and mapping every aisle and mapping every product and mapping everything Actually, instead, having the machine learning do a lot of the work in advance so that when you point your camera at something, say it's a, I don't know, a cereal box or something, it will know exactly what it is. By definition, it will just know what that is. You know, you could, for example, going into a coffee shop, you could, you know, instead of having to map the entire coffee shop and where the tables are, where the chairs are, instead of that, it recognises the app can say there's a chair, there's a table, someone sitting on that chair, you know, surely the technology is at the point where it could do that. And would that not be easier? Would that not get us to where we want to be as blind people quicker? Yeah, that's that's definitely a really good point. Um, I mean, I think I think there's like kind of like two, maybe two different different challenges at work here. So there's the, I think the like challenge of, you know, you're in a particular aisle, say, and you're, you know, looking at some set of products and, um what you're saying is like somebody could have gone in ahead of time and said like, you know, shelf four in aisle three has this cereal in it or something versus like just recognizing the packaging itself. And and I, I definitely think you're right that the recognizing the packaging itself is, you know, important is probably a better solution. And I think like that will be like the direction that things move in as technology gets better. But I think the part that will never be solved by that is like, you know, where is the cereal, right? Like, you know, where in the environment, and this is a problem, not only for um, folks who are blind or low low vision, this is a problem for everybody. You're saying, where is this product in the, in the, in this environment? And so I think from that perspective, that, that kind of has to have some sort of, if you want that capability, you need some kind of map attached to it, I believe. Um, to like say, you know, you're not in this environment, you're not looking at this product, but the product is, you know, five aisles over or something like that. Um, yeah, it's the it's the fusion of the two, isn't it? Really, yeah, that's the exactly. that's the key. That's what we want, isn't it? Exactly. We want to be able to, because I, I think, of, you know, again, like you said, I mean, I, I think about the exactly the same um, analogy, I guess, because you're talking about a food aisle. I think about a shopping mall. If I'm walking down and I'm using my phone to navigate, it can identify the names, the logos, the the, the brands, the the sale signs. You know, all those right. things it could identify. Essentially, we want. <laughs> Uh, typical blind people, right? We just want it all. We want it all. We want it now. Uh, we want all these features to exist and, and bring all these things together. And you know, but it, it seems as if the technology is allowing us to get there, although albeit slowly, albeit over time, and it may just be a matter of a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's yeah. In terms of when this is going to happen, I I think one possible thing that would just totally accelerate the whole process would be if a product like smart glasses went main, like ma- mainstream all of a sudden, you know, and this is a, like every technology company, all the big players are all pour, just pouring billions and billions and billions of dollars into this right now. Uh, they all want to be, they all want to develop the next like iPhone, right? They want it like, that's a, you know, hundred, you know, trillion dollar business, probably the next thing. Um, so if that, once that becomes mainstream and once, once like even 10, 20% of the people walking into a shopping mall are wearing these things, all of a sudden there's going to be so much interest in being able to rec, you know, automatically map out and recognize every aspect of the shopping environment. Not always for the most positive purposes, mind you, right? Like, so, you know, a lot of it will be about, you know, advertising and, you know, driving and changing customer, you know, consumer behavior. On the other hand, that will fuel improvements in accessibility. So I think it's like, I I think I'm always trying to think like what, you know, what are the trends that are going to happen and how do we like leverage them and repurpose them for accessibility? And so I feel like there's going to be a big wave of technology companies trying to advance that type of future, whether that will be the future, I don't actually know, but that's a future that a lot of technology companies see. And if that comes to pass, there'll be a big opportunity to, boost accessibility for folks who are blind or, or have low vision alongside that. 
This is interesting. Just a fascinating time, in my opinion, right now in this whole space. Absolutely, I think you're absolutely right. And yeah. artificial intelligence, augmented reality, all of that coming together. Um, as I said, a clue blew my mind when I first tried the app, and for me, it was the first time that the um, you know, the sci-fi movie version of computer vision almost yeah, you know, it's almost in touching distance, you know. And and your right. your background in robotics interests me as well. Where, uh, you sort of touched on it already. That uh, how close are we to that true computer vision where it can recognise things? You know that mixture of AI and object recognition. It's absolutely amazing. But you you do think that the smart glasses is is something we already have the um, the, the 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 algorithm there. It's just feeding it all that different image data, that point data that we need from lidar and and cameras and everyone wearing them basically. Yeah, I, I think I think that's basically right. I mean, I think I think there's definitely you know there's definitely more work to do. Uh, I think on the algorithm side always, but I think if you're talking about like people walking around in common spaces that a lot of people can go to, and and you already have images for those specific spaces, that's going to drive a lot of the progress. Like you said, like it's really about um, it's really about just like how do you get images of particular spaces so that the recognition can be done. And then if you have enough data about each space, you, you kind of have like a pretty, you know, ex, you know, a, a pretty comprehensive and accurate system for that whole idea of computer vision, you know, picking up these objects and showing them to users and alerting people when they're passing by things and things of that nature. Is that, is that the issue ultimately? Is this, is this the problem that just, it's the data? Ultimately, we just need more and more and more data to be able to make these apps more capable. It's not so much that the technology isn't there, it's that it's the data about the real world, which of course is always evolving as well. Right, right. I mean, I think, like, take for example, like going into a cereal aisle or something. Um, you know, if you have, if you have the, if you, if you're able to go down the specific aisle in a store or a similar store and get images of those, you know, specific boxes and have those on hand so the system can learn to identify those specific you know serial boxes uh that system's going to work really really well right if you have a lot of data there's 3d data there's really high quality camera data all those kinds of things that's going to work really well um so in that kind of scenario i think the technology's you know already there to a great extent um, I think in more in less constrained environments, you know, maybe like you're going into an environment you've never seen these specific products before, um, but you're trying to like I don't know pick up on like you know text or something or like pick up on things that are maybe like you, you know just like kind of generalized to like a new product box or something that you've never seen. Um, I think that's still like a challenging area. So I think there's kind of like a situation where just like if we have more and more data of the specific environments that people are going to be in most commonly, I think uh, we can really solve the problem quite well. Um, and then I think in more unconstrained environments, there's still going to be challenges that people will be working on to keep pushing it forward more. You mentioned one of the, the big features you're working on this year, which is obviously outdoor and indoor navigation being fused together in some way, uh, which sounds really exciting. And we look forward to, to seeing the results of that. Anything else you can tell us? Any other any other secrets you can divulge yeah. well, with us of what's to come? Well, one thing I would say, there's no real secrets here. So I would Excellent. just say that. Tell us everything then. Yeah, I'll tell you everything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess one thing I did want to say is uh, just a little bit about the, the process that we're going to go through over the summer. So um, we're, we're running, uh, we call it the Clue Co-Designer Program. So we're going to have uh, 50 folks from all over the world who are blind or visually impaired or some folks who are, you know, orientation mobility instructors are going to be working with us. And the idea is to really have them be pushing forward these projects and these ideas and help shape them. Um, so we definitely have some like starting points, you know, some just general areas that we've been working on, have done some like technological feasibility work. Um, and then the idea is to like really partner with those folks to kind of, kind of move, move things along. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, the major areas, um, are uh, indoor, outdoor to indoor navigation. There's continuing work on our mapping solution, which is this tag-based solution where you can create maps of any environment. Um, and then uh, better anchor point uh, recognition. So just with the regular Clue app, making it easier to use, easier to uh, localize to routes. Um, 
And then uh, the other one is, uh, we call it software LIDAR. So it's this idea of how do you emulate the capabilities of a LIDAR when you don't have a LIDAR? Um, so using a combination of machine learning techniques and some other computer vision techniques, trying to determine the distance of each point in the image to the camera. Um, so it seems like it's going to be at least a, you know, a few good years till the majority of people have a LiDAR on their phone. Like maybe it's like five years away, five, six years, maybe, maybe longer, hard to know. Um, and so in the meantime, what we really want to be able to do is have that an emulation of that capability on, on people's phones um, so they can get some of the benefits of it, even if they don't have that feature. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's, those that's are, those are like the big areas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that sounds fascinating. Um, I guess you're the guy uh, in your home that they all come to with the tech problems, right? So you're the guy, someone can't download an app, they come to you and you think, yeah, you want to see what I do for my day job. Um, you think you can't download an app, try this. Try machine learning. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, but so, sometimes the mundane things are harder than you expect. So. Yeah, that's true. That you do some machine true. learning, but sometimes the tech support is harder. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's, well, you've got to deal with people then, haven't you? You can't... People. That's a different ballgame. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. And, that is, and that's the key, right? That's the key. We mentioned uh, smart glasses, Paul. I, I'm just interested in your take on the whole, you know, uh, smart glasses and taking away the camera in favour of the LiDAR. Uh, Apple are, are rumoured to be doing that because of people's fear, almost, uh, you know, or hesitance mm. about cameras everywhere so uh lidar instead of actual physical camera what's your feeling on that is actually work better in uh, your in your point of view i don't yeah that's that's interesting i i know apple's they're very like secretive about what they're doing and so i think people are always trying to yeah read through that i definitely think it's clear that they'll be pursuing a lidar um i guess i would hope they would keep the camera at least from the perspective of I, yeah, I mean, like, there's obviously some ten, maybe some tensions that are, you know, we have to kind of work out between this sort of um, assistive technology and uh, privacy. But, um, you know, definitely having the camera is really important for a lot of use, use cases. Um, yeah, and I, I have a, yeah, I, I have a hard time believing that they would be able to do, they, they could really do this stuff without the, the camera. Um, really, but you, you know, it's interesting that, um, so like they, I mentioned that these phones can track their motion in three D space like really accurately, but it's actually not the the lidar doesn't actually help very much with that. Like you'd think the lidar would be really helpful for figuring out how you're moving in in three D space, and it helps a little bit, but. Really, the camera is actually the the thing that does it. It's like tracking little features in the image as you move around in space. So, it, it feels to me like that's going to be a, a crucial part of part of the future. Um, I don't know if they're going to start making it from a privacy standpoint. Maybe there'll be a distinction between you know images that are used by an algorithm and discarded immediately and never sent off the device versus images that are you know saved to a device and could be used later. I, I mean, those are really challenging questions. Um, I, and I definitely, I, I thought about them a little bit. I feel like I need to, be, I need to think about them more, but I think those are going to be the re, some really big tensions that'll kind of, we saw them play out like in the Google glass, like on like a very small kind of baby scale, I, I feel like, but you know, they're going to play out in, in a much bigger way, I think in the next you know few years. Absolutely. Um, well, we all know that when Apple do it, people will pay attention. They, they will. Yeah. They'll they're going to, yeah, I, 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 I kind of feel like they'll be the, the folks to do it. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I, I in, in any case, I'm hoping that whoever does it, they'll think of it as a, a hardware product and not as a, a vehicle to sell ads or influence people's behavior. Cause I think that's, to me, that's really the, the big distinction is like having something that like you, the product is for you. You're the one using it. You're paying for it and you own the product versus, you know, well, something free, that's... but then you pay for it with like, being manipulated yeah. by some well that's the problem. argument about apple isn't it you pay more for the product but that's because you're you're essentially paying for that that safety and knowledge that you're not you're not the product the product is the product and it remains that way you pay the yep. premium the the apple tax if you like for it but that's what you get and i, I don't imagine apple glass would be any different unfortunately it's the services yeah. that are uh, on the devices themselves that can be often the problem there um but it is a very interesting time uh, if if Apple Glass comes along, 
Um, uh, you know, I imagine this is something you, well, you're going to be all over this. We as blind yes. people are going to be all over it because we yes. just think this is brilliant. Uh, you know, when it happens, we'll be just like, yes, 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 sign me up. Um, but you know, it, it's it's such a it's such an interesting area. How long? I mean, I guess you know, based on how long it's taking you to develop Clue, how much work would need to go into developing it for for another product like that? Do you think? I mean, there's probably a version of it where. It just works. It just works on the glass. I don't have to do anything. Um, it kind of depends on how Apple, you know, uh, approaches approaches the the challenges. It's possible that it runs a very similar operating system to iOS. It's possible, you know. I mean, in in a lot of ways, the you know, it's not that different in a lot of ways. The in terms of like from like a app developer's perspective. Um, so I don't think it would take long at all. I think it. I think there's a chance it just it just works and it's like using a different screen or something, um, and it just is able to use exactly the same you know libraries that we're using now. Um, but I, I assume it would be very very easy. I mean, I think in terms of how long like Clue has taken to develop, it a lot of it was you know early work that was like we didn't have the right hardware product, so we were like doing a lot of our own hardware development or you know, implementing, um, algorithms that, you know, weren't really, you know, kind of mature yet. Um, and then there's all the like other stuff. That's not the, like, you'd be surprised how long the just like making the user interface look decent and giving, having help messages and like tutorials and menus and, you know, just all that kind of stuff. That's like pretty mundane and like there's nothing like really, really new about it, but that stuff actually takes a, a tremendous amount of time as well. So it's definitely definitely a mixture, but I I think if a smart smart glasses came out, I think I think it would be very quick that like there would be apps all over it for for folks who are blind to leverage. I, I don't think it would be a slow process at all. And what about Android? Are you on Android? No, I I don't. Yeah, this I get this question a lot. I'm not on Android. I really regret not being on Android. So mostly for me, it's it, it's because I'm so. My, I'm a, so I'm a, since I'm a college professor, the way that I work on these projects is so I work on them a lot during the year on my own, and also with some some students who are doing it for like credit, like research credit. And then over the summer, so I, I get grants from um, different foundations. Like right now, our supporters from uh, the National Science Foundation in the U.S. And then I have like a bunch of students working over the summer, um, but the model is not really conducive to maintaining like both an iOS and an Android app. Like I think to do that, I would need like, I would need like a full time, like professional developer um, in order to do that. And right now that's just not, that's not like the resources that I have. Um, So I don't know, like I think to get to that next level, I'd have to spin it off as like a company or something, or there'd have to be some other model to, to, to support it. So I, d- I don't um, suppose. I don't know. I feel bad. I feel bad. Like I feel bad about leaving the the Android users out, but I've just realized that it's just it's just not. I just don't have the the resources to to make it happen. I don't suppose um, you've uh, put together a uh, Google Glass version in the lab at all, have you? Well, we. Well, that's funny you mentioned <laughs> that because that was all of our original prototypes were all based on Google technology. So we had a, had a Google Glass. We did put together a very bad prototype of this using Google Glass. I mean, it was not exactly the same thing. It was a little bit different. but And then Google had this like really early technology in augmented reality called Project Tango. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really cool technology, but um, it required like very specialized hardware. And then Apple's approach was have it run on all the phones. And Apple just you know ate Google's lunch on that, basically. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I did do a lot of Android development like earlier in the process. What's your take on subscription modeling that a lot of apps are going down the route of? We spoke to Winston Chen from the Voice Dream suite of apps who has made the decision on the macOS version to go subscription, to mm. essentially build a business, to you know take this out of being a passion project and actually turning it into a tangible business. Is that something you could see Clue doing or is that not really in your mind at the moment? Um. Yeah, it's definitely not in my mind at the moment. The, the margins you can make on an app are very, are kind of small, honestly. Um, and so if you were to try to commercialize something like this, um, I just, I just don't, 
unless you unless you repurpose it as like a product that could you know like appeal to like a much larger group of people like not just the people who are blind or visually impaired i think the like margins you can make on it like wouldn't be enough to make the business sustainable so my my model is like just keep raising money through grants um and also uh, my college is like very excited about this type of impact and like enables me to spend time working on it so i i feel like I'd rather like do that work to enable the product to exist and then just have it be free. Um, I guess if I had something like uh, the voice dream suite where I think that does have a lot of like, that has a pretty wide appeal. I think that could make sense in that space. Like there might be enough like of a market to push it out. But I think for something that's like really designed for people who are blind or visually impaired for navigation in this case, like I don't, I don't think it is likely that it would it fly as a business. Very interesting. Um, Paul, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. Thank you. Yeah, it was a really interesting conversation. I love love the questions. I really appreciate it. Well, there you go, Sean. A very interesting show today, learning all about the Clue app and the development process. There's more in it than I thought. Oh, absolutely. There's so much potential to that Clue app. It it gets me excited, I will say. I tried the app when I was in um, Saskatchewan. Funnily enough, oh, here we go. Uh, from my More hotel emails. room, hotel room to the lift, and uh, yeah, it works really well. It, it's it's um, it's one of those times where you think this is almost like magic. You know, technology yeah. works so well. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, listen, great show today. Thank you so much for being with us. We're back again tomorrow. Keep your feedback coming as well. We'll be uh, talking to Ira on uh, tomorrow's episode to find out all about the big changes there. So stick around for that. Uh, this has been Double Tap. I've been Sean Priest. No, hang on, that's I've not right. Steven I've been Steven Scott. There you go. Well, there you go. That could have been an interesting ton of events. On that bombshell, goodbye. Bye-bye. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.